You're listening to The Shop Podcast, presented by Grey Goose Vodka. Whether it's a dinner party for 10 or a small kickback, you know the vibes will always be right if you're surrounded by your favorite people. And great company pairs best with a great cocktail. So make it a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Impress your guests in style with an espresso martini or the always effortless classic martini with a lemon twist. No matter what you decide, everyone can appreciate the smooth, delicate taste that only a Grey Goose Vodka Martini can provide. For more info on how to craft a vodka-based cocktail, visit greygoose.com and remember to always sip responsibly. Uninterrupted. I accidentally got high at work. Okay, the phrase is accidentally. accidentally. How do you accidentally? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Accidentally on... They said you're wrapped, so I'm in my trailer, and uh, this was the one and only time I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna have some weed in the trailer. And then I was literally going to walk out, and they, they're like, we just rearranged the scenes, we're going, you're on. And I was like, fuck! <laughs> I am not kidding, I acted like the line is like, wow, I can't believe he would do that. And instead I was like, I can't believe <laughs> On this episode of Uninterrupted, the Shop Podcast, Maverick Carter and Paul Rivera are joined by Kyrie Irving. But there are times where light shines through the truth, and you have to spread it out. And I do my best to be available and give that warm invite to all walks of life. Drew Barrymore. I try to think about everything that we come together on or to have an attitude, but I've tried to carry that out in a much deeper daily way. Idris Elba. When you play a bad character, a character that has like no redeemable qualities, there's something really satisfactory about that when you don't come from that place. And Paul Rabel. Part of what we do now is through healing, I think, lacrosse's Northeast exclusive kind of prep school reputation is understanding ways to connect with other people. Check it out. Like, I'm such a news junkie. We've never lived in a time where we are this forced to look at everything for better or worse you cannot turn away from it. I'm gonna say, do you ever shut it off? Um, yeah, but for like a day, max, and then I'm on it again. I don't think we're forced, I think we're conditioned. Yes. It's, it's a conditioning now, for sure, because you know, everything from the way it's displayed to us to the device that we get it on is designed to keep your attention. Yes. You know, uh, and it's a, it's a cycle because that feeds ratings, ratings feed a story, and before you know it, you know, we're all sort of engrossed in something. And yeah. it's interesting yeah. also, like, Kai, you have a different situation, because during the season, you have literally a microphones in your face. How do you deal with that? Like, just the constant media, I don't want to call it scrutiny, but like, uh, obligation you have, right, as part of your job? Yeah, uh, it's wearing the crown, honestly. It, it comes with it, we all say it. Easier said than done. I mean, dealing with it in my shoes is difficult at times, I'll be honest. But there are times where light shines through the truth and you have to spread it out. And I do my best to be available and give that warm invite to all walks of life. 
I think that's such a lifelong North Star of a goal mm -hmm. for, for me, millions. like to not alienate people, to Absolutely. find the common denominator. We all have stories. How do you do that? Because it's, it's definitely so important to me to find a way to, like I love toilet paper because we all use it. I'm like, there is a fantastic <laughs> common denominator. <laughs> I mean, it's everywhere. It's something everybody kind of engages in. And I, I try to think about everything that we come together on or to have an attitude, but I've tried to carry that out in a much deeper daily way. How do you do it? I had to figure out what my moral compass and code was gonna be. And I went searching down my family lineage. And if we continue to say as a human race, we've been here for hundreds of thousands of years, then I think people in the past got it right. We don't have to keep trying to change history all the time and manipulate it to be pretty again. It's like, there's an ugliness to it. And I like that just as much as I enjoy the beauty. I am willing to serve a bigger purpose than myself. And that means that I'm willing to take the lead as well as be a passenger on someone else's journey and just listen and grow throughout that. So I do my best to stay in that balanced place and really learn about the indigenous ways of living, which is Mother Earth first. Of course. By the way, Paul, just for you guys to know, he started a professional lacrosse league, which is a fucking big deal. Congrats to you. Thank you. And it's going, he's got a deal on the ESPN. That's but amazing. As the founder of a league and like, you feel like you're one of the pillars of lacrosse. Do you feel a responsibility now? No question. The reason why I wanted to start a new league is that lacrosse is a native game to the Americas. And we don't know with full accuracy the history of the native people in the Americas. Some count for 70 million prior to 1492. But we do know that 95% of the population was wiped. And uh, this is a lot of what you're close with through your mother, Absolutely. your own bloodline. And in lacrosse, it's a game that they call Dehontik Wahas. It started in the Northeast, which is the Haudenosaunee people of Six Nations. And they played for the creator. They call it the medicine game. And the version that you see that I played, grew up in loving, is, uh, is the secular version. Um, and part of what we do now is through healing, I think, lacrosse's Northeast exclusive kind of prep school reputation is, is understanding ways to connect with other people. And you look around, there's just a lot of white people that play a sport, and it's an indigenous game. At the professional level, I was embarrassed to tell people what I did. Isn't that, that like the white boy sport? <laughs> and so you're like, fuck, man, you know? <laughs> so what do you do? I'm a pro athlete. I mean, that was in my bio. You were just saying I'm pro athlete. Pro athlete is easier. So then I was like, man, this shit's got to change. You want to change the narrative of the way I see lacrosse. Hundred percent. And there's risk because you have your core audience that is like, nah, don't talk about that. Like lacrosse is great. Can I ask a question? Um, was there a moment in your life where you were first blown away by lacrosse and thought, this is what I want to spend my life doing? It was a buildup over time. Right. Or was it I, as a kid? I, when I didn't start playing until middle school, and it was because my neighbor gave me his backup stick. We grew up playing that's rec it, sports. That's it, though. Like, that's, that's the moment. That's the moment yeah. for me. Yeah, I got it. That sucked. My first shot went backwards. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to quit. I grew up playing hoops, soccer, track and field. And there are a lot of times in my career where I was like, damn, I should have stuck with those. By the way, Drew, 
I want to ask you the same thing about you were in fucking ET. As yeah. how old how old were you in that movie? It's like, six. Six. Did you yeah. want to do it? Did your parents have you do it? And at that moment, did you realize this is what I want to do for a career? No. By that time, I had already been um, long uh, in the tooth with working, and I was at a, six. A you six. Yeah, I I did my first commercial when I was eleven months old, um, in diapers. Not a euphemism, but I was born into a family that all did it. Like all the, did show business. The Barrymores, but they were all dead and long gone. And my dad was a, a drug addict, and he was, you know, didn't wear shoes, and he was really crazy, but like awesome and a character, and sort of like Gollum meets Oscar <laughs> Wilde on drugs. And he was just so cool and fascinating. And I could tell at a young age, I was like, oh, this guy's not capable of shit. So let's just love him for who he is and not expect anything from him. And my mom, she worked as a waitress at the comedy store in the Troubadour. Single mom, I worked by day, she worked by night. When I was doing E.T., she was shooting, she also was an actress, she was in this movie Night Shift that Ron Howard directed. She was doing that, playing like hooker number 19 at <laughs> night while I was doing E.T. in the day. And then she stopped to become my manager and that's where everything wow. fell to shit. And how long did she st stay your manager? Uh, uh, well, at 14, I got emancipated by the courts and I got out on my own. But I had been in an institution for two years before that. What a life you've lived. So I think one of your questions was gonna be, do you think that for kids going into the business is a good Show idea? And I think? would say, fuck to the no. Mm. Because the, the- Even with all your success, early on you had. That's the irony, I love my life. But I, as a parent, don't have the ability to say, it's a great idea because the statistics yeah. alone so show yeah. Yeah. What and I think I I believe the answer is what happened to me is you just get so much access and my mom was bananas. My mom took me to Studio Fifty Four. What? She, took me, she she would get into the clubs, but I I don't think that kids should live like adults. I have a question though, really technically. First of all, I want to start off by saying congratulations on that role. At six years old, you gave a performance that I think everyone. Uh, basically mirrored some version of for the next 20 decades, I mean, two decades, real talk. Like, your character and the naturalism that you brought was incredible. I just want to ask about that naturalism. I think I that has a lot to do with uh, Steven Spielberg making you, and I never felt the cameras in the room. I believe a camera's there to do its job of capturing, but it's another soul within, like, the group of people. And I know there are cables. I know ET's not real. And <laughs> I know there's cables on that camera. But it just all falls away. And you're so in the moment. And you're so present. And I think a lot of people who kind of do a lot of cut and action and fanfare, like, I'm a real, like, keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. Keep it real. <laughs> just be in it. Yeah. And Steven was really like that. And he, it, he really encouraged improv. He loved the naturalism. Mm. And I think, you know, he used to say, don't act your characters, be your characters. By the way, in this day and age, you know, like we don't get E.T. with the wires. No, no, right. no. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's a green figure yeah. or an X in yeah. the room and you act to the X. Do you like playing a hero or villain more? Like which one gives you more satisfaction? Mm, good and question. which is you more comfortable? Great question. Um, he, you play 
You go back and forth. For sure. That felt like and a, and a little bit of both. Stringer Bell, you know? Yeah, yeah Stringer that, Bell. That, that, that was the 10 cusp. years. Stringer like, Bell. Right down the middle. I feel like literally satisfaction comes from playing characters that feel as far removed from me as possible. Got it. All right. I consider myself a human being that is, you know, a little bit embracing of everything. So when you play a bad character, a character that has like no redeemable con qualities, there's something really satisfactory about that when you don't come from that place. Even within that, how how soon do you feel like you're the character? Is it immediately day one you show up for both of you? Is it halfway through? Mm. Like so when, you when do you feel you're this character? I mean, I definitely do a lot of like studying and research and backstory and I want to have a kind of a thought or an answer or like history as that person. Everything you do is show up so fucking prepared mm. that that is the only point where you can let go and be free. It's so funny you said about being prepared. You know, I've seen you do things and I've asked Brian, like, holy shit, that movie goes, I've seen him do that in practice a yeah. hundred times. Yeah. Like, Thank you. the things you do on the court, like, you're that overprepared for them and they just become... And do you remember the shit you did? Because there's one specific shot, I think I, me and Brian talk about that you made. The left floater, left, left hand floater? Off the, off the backboard, on the off baseline, the though. Yeah, yeah. With the angle, I couldn't believe... Yeah. Fuck making the shot. I couldn't believe you thought... You could take that shot. Why? <laughs> There's nobody in the history of game that got to that spot and jumped up and thought that was an option. Catholic school didn't let me stay left-handed. <laughs> oh, you you were left-handed at first? Absolutely. Oh wow. Oh, that's why you got. Absolutely. Can't even tell. I was getting slapped on the hand for writing with my left oh, hand. Oh, so you I never knew born. This. Yeah, that was old school. This was in '96. You, do you write lefty? Yeah, I could do both. Wait. So wow. when you put a ball in your left hand, how does it feel now? Natural. No, when you watch him play, I, are I you ambidextrous? It makes, it makes sense yeah, now. Just, both sides yeah. of my brain are unlocked. If you're asking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, is one yeah. more creative and one more logical? Like. But that's why I wanted to ask you guys because what do you like to be described as actors as your role that you play or as Funny, artists? When you said you put pro athlete right. in like your profile, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I was like, dating app or like occupation, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to take a poll around the room and say, if you had to describe yourself in one or two words, what would it be? I, I love a genreless life. It's beautiful, it's beautiful to, to watch and, and appreciate that, but also do it yourself. I make music, I, I pray with ministers, I sit with everybody you can think of, I'm sitting and in, in observing and trying to learn. Artist just gives me, when I when I describe myself as an artist, it just gives me an opportunity to do whatever the fuck I want. Artist, You're an artist. Artist is vast. Absolutely. You I feel create, like we all you're are. You're a creator. Yeah, creator, artist. Yeah. The tool I choose to use as my paintbrush is my basketball. Mm -hmm. I've done it in my backyard since I was six years old. But when you're out there, are you so, thinking about the shit you're doing or are you just doing it? I am constantly crafting new canvases every time I grab the, that paintbrush, oh. the ball. New canvas, new side on the court. It is literally just a hardwood floor with lines on it, but I disrespect those lines so and bad. go outside those boundaries yes. because it's meant to. It's meant yeah. to be is it, And it's fun, right? Absolutely. Is it fun when you're losing? It's the that, fucking I, I was just, I was just telling him, there's like, do you guys have an assassin's oath? What's that, Kai? You just love being in the, the water full of sharks. The best of the best. The man in the arena, just like always. On that him. level. It you just know everybody's everything. a gladiator just like you. Just so, like you. 
Losing is the assassin's oath, like, of just, we don't want that. Do you flail when you're, like, losing, or does something, like, kick in? Because um, if I'm, like, spun out at work, I wonder if the work is good when I'm grasping and desperate. Yeah. I think that, you know, like, the thing about acting is, is that you're literally replicating things that people go through every single day, right? So when someone's screaming and shouting in the middle of an argument, you're doing it. If your gut doesn't feel like that, it doesn't quite connect as actors. Losing is when you have to fabricate that. And, and, and the crew are like, okay, we're gonna go one more. And you can tell everyone knows that this is a moment that the boom man's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, if you wanna stay in it, don't look so at you the can crew. Tell, don't look at the crew. You can yeah. tell when you're stinking it up or something's off. Yeah, and the, sometimes it's a time to let go even more or yeah. to try even harder and yeah. you never know which one's gonna like end up getting you there. And it's the same as like when all of a sudden the shift has happened and you're on the down and you're trying to get back up losing to winning, what is it that kicks in that gets you back to a better Absolutely. place? I mean, here's the thing, I, here's how I think about losing, uh, and a lot of it is, is framing, but there's this misconception that people who are quote unquote successful at their craft, like all of you, uh, are just more talented than everyone else. And, and while that may be the case, you have more risk aggression. You've put yourself in more situations where you have failed and lost, so you build resilience. Like those who win, lose because like our winning is like what's celebrated it's remembered but our growth comes from our losses tenfold man i think in life those that are addicted to the process actually don't need to lose to win lebron for 20 years he is literally addicted to the process he likes winning he likes championships but he actually likes going to the gym and training much more than the parade and the celebration. If you really can dive into the process of something and love that, then you can then then that you're actually addicted to learning and you want to you want to get better. You keep going back to the process. I did not expect this to happen today, but I am having a <laughs> <laughs> addicted to the process. But how does that prepare people for the losses? There are so many fragile young people, right? When they take a loss, it is over. That's yes, what I'm saying. That's, that's a great scary. question. See, that's what I think is you found the, you the meat in between the two slices of bread. You have winning and losing. Great. Those are big pendulums. Yeah. What is the meaning of mm. life? Mm. What mm. is the it's middle? The Enjoying that 10,000 hours. That's it, addicted to the process. Even the bad shit, liking all of it. Yes, every element. One of the main goals for each episode of The Shop is to share and learn from the unique experiences of all our guests as we curate conversations with those who are shaping culture. What I've learned is that through the journey, you know, all the hard work, the hustle, and the consistency, it's always important to celebrate your wins. So do it in style and raise a glass to toast the unforgettable moments that continue to make us who we are. Toast to your wins with a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Check out greygoose.com for smooth-tasting recipes, and remember, sip responsibly. The Shop Podcast is presented by Grey Goose Vodka. Two words for you. 
James Bond. It's been a lot of chatter. Social. Have they announced who the next one is yet? But they have not. I don't believe they have. But I if know it's I, not you, I don't want to see it. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. It makes two of us. That's the meme for the Great. next two thousand years. Thank you very much. It makes two of us. But, but there's I been a ton of chatter out there that the role was offered, not offered. You wanted it, didn't want it. There was a conversation, wasn't a conversation. What can you, if anything, say about this? No, let me Bond? throw the question out to you guys, all right? If, if you are of the agreement that you think that I should play it, can you ask yourselves why and really answer why you think I should play it? Tell me why. That is I a great could, question. That's the best question. I could, you want to go first? For me, the great art of art itself is being this beautiful hybrid model that has utter cohesion. Can you be strong and charming and sexy and seem like a friend, be intimidating? How many characteristics can one person embody but be utterly unique at the same time? That's awesome. You are that. That's okay. really, that was extremely articulate because she's a lot smarter than me. I was just gonna say, because you're handsome and cool. In <laughs> but is it, do you think that there's a nostalgia, and be honest, there's a nostalgia to the idea, I shouldn't say nostalgia, there's an allure to the idea of me being the first black man to play that character. I think Is it's, there an allure? Yes. I, for me, it's you. Um, Undoubtedly. It, it's also, there's another characteristic that you don't embody, which for me is my number one, I gotta go characteristic, which is smug. I fucking hate smug more than anything in the world. And you don't carry that. And yet you have every confidence and capability in the world, but you're devoid of the one that alienates people I feel the most. It, you, I like people who bring people in. I do not wanna be pushed away and sit there and think I have to like this. Bring me in. You bring people in. And mm. you're not desperate or pandering no. whatsoever. No, no. Do you want to do it? Um, it is not a goal for Got my it. career. I don't think that, you know, playing Bond will satisfy some of my personal goals. It will definitely satisfy the will of a nation. I'm not gonna lie, every corner of the world I go, and I'm talking about different cultures, they always go, Bond. Mm. And I feel it is beyond me at this junction. It's beyond me, you know? It's not a question of should I, do I, will I? It is what the will of the nation dictates sometimes. I'm not that guy, but in everyone's world, I might be, and that, Job done. Because the truth is, you know, a lot of people are really seeing Idris playing Bond as the alternative Bond. And as long as that alternative is existing, that's great for the growth of fucking casting. We open the conversations. And so for that reason, I'm sitting here and say, great, talk about me all day long because it opens the blinkers that we all have. Have you followed this story? And I want to ask you about this with actors who are black and the whole idea of English black actors taking American roles. I, mean, it's I was in a bar, I was at a Chiltern, having a drink next to me, the actor who's playing Whitney Houston. She's English. I said, I hope you know, black women in America are gonna be like, English woman playing, you're playing one of the most iconic African-American women ever. And it's a thing 
What, is your, what do you feel about that? Even the way you framed it up, though, taking American roles, right? Yeah. It's crazy that we It's crazy that, that it's, right? it's like, But like, you know what I noticed? Hmm. You, said, you said a black woman in America versus an English woman. Yes. Like, being English makes you less black. Exactly. That's, that's the issue. Like, hmm. That's the issue. To me, that defines how unintelligent the whole argument is. No disrespect to anyone who has that feelings. It is what it is. But the fact is, we're all black. Like... Let's just be, you know, you get a Scottish actor playing an Irish character or an English actor, you don't hear about the debate. But amongst ourselves, we want to point fingers because we come from a, a conditioning that makes people just make sure, where are you from and are you authentic yes. from where you're from? Yeah, so how black are you? Just how crazy. black are you? You know, and it comes down to the caste system. And it's annoying to me, really annoying. My grandfather fought the Second World War for this country, US comes from Kansas City. I come to this country and someone's saying to me, you ain't American. I'm like, huh? How dare you? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the truth is, you know, what am I gonna bring that out as some sort of like I think, yeah. argument? Well, the idea, it's a character. It, it, I mean, it's for anybody. It's really. acting. Like, can, it's acting. It's acting. Cultural appropriation, that? though, is yes. definitely something that we should pay attention to. Attention for sure. To. But in the acting profession, one should be allowed to play. How long do you want to act or? To what Have you age? thought about How that? long do I want to act? Yeah. For the rest of my life. I want to act for the rest of my life, but I also feel that there are other parts of my, you know, palette that are going to amplify, you know, whether it's creative, whether it's writing, directing, music, whatever it is. I feel like, you know, those parts of my, the tentacles in my career or my, my industry grow, no doubt. For sure. Because people I think be like. Also, if you build towards other goals, you don't put all your stock in one thing. Yeah. I think diversifying um, is really important and not feeling like at one point I'll age out. What will be also future things that I would love to invest in, study, learn, prepare myself for so that I have eggs in different baskets and they may have to all do with the same thing. It may be writing and directing, which seems very you know, adjacent to an acting or starting a league, which is adjacent to being a sports athlete. But I think it's so good to plan on bigger picture things rather than holding on so tight yeah. to something. To something, yeah. It's so, so ebbing and flowing and changing. So, it's not likely. That's dope. So what roles do interest you now at this stage in your career? Like, you got the, your next movie is Beast. Like, why did you take that one? And what roles do interest you now? Well, we come, we come in from a cycle where the theater was done. You know, cinema is the, the heart of filmmaking. People go to the cinema to watch it. So we made Beast because we wanted to make a, a film that invited people to come and experience it on the silver screen. Also, there's a cultural relevance to it. You know, it's a black family being, you know, transported back to Africa and find themselves in the middle of a thriller. And that hasn't been seen before. So that's partly why I did it. But in terms of generally how I choose films now, it's really about what, what haven't I done? You want to challenge yourself? Yeah, I want to breathe life into something that I've never done before. I say this, by the way, I said out publicly I wanted to play Michael Jordan. Boom. Put it out there. Let's put it out there. But do you? Wow, <laughs> oh, yo, you gave it a stink face. What's that about? Nah. <laughs> you did. I saw it. You were just. So I don't know. Sure. You know, I, don't, I don't know right now. Just I don't want to say I don't see it. I just don't. Just, can you hoop? First of all, first of all, hold on, hold on. That's a great question. 
Kenny it isn't about well. the hooping. It's about Michael Jordan. Yeah, but we the still want to But it is about hooping. <laughs> no. That's why that's that's I, mean, I had that look like. We still got to see the great. <laughs> he's the greatest guy great, that's great. to basketball. Jordan, Michael Jordan, the business has never been um, exercised in no. a story form. Or no, he's never right. even talked about it. We that's never right. really heard Michael. And that's not, I, the, the hooping is definitely relevant, but it's not, if I was going to dissect a story about him, it wouldn't be about the hooping because nobody wants to see someone pretend to do yeah. moves we've seen all day. Also, nobody I love business and I'm hot for this movie Thank already. You. Talking business, how many athletes understand the business of the sport they play? I mean, look, I, I think that athletes, there are different, there's a range of them. Some want to know, like you guys have all done. And then there's some athletes, like there are actors that just want to be talent because they know that it's a fleeting business and they need to strike and not be distracted by anything else. But having played sport for 14 years, then going on the league side, you, you get it. And you get where the tension is. Because I used to be an athlete and say, why the fuck don't they do this? This seems easy. They're marking it wrong. They're doing this wrong. And the thing about business um, is that you have a board. You have employees. Uh, you have constituents from players and their parents and agents. That everyone needs to be heard and talked to. As athletes, we just have ourselves. We have one board member. It's us. We have one athlete. It's us. And we make decisions. That's why you can be agile. But I would say that um, you've got you to thread the needle. Yeah, I'll just be completely honest. I, I was a nerd way before I was an athlete, like just a quirky, awkward kid. So I did it based on the ROI in fourth grade because my dad's a financial sector you know, head. He knows a, a lot of information about the market. Saw him wake up 5.30, 6 a.m. to go to Wall Street. So I, I got a different perspective Fourth grade, I went in my closet. I said, I am going to the NBA. Anything you invoke with I am after it, <laughs> the power of manifestation and what can happen in the universe comes true. Yeah. So in fourth grade, so just imagine me in fourth grade, I'm looking at the ROI on what NBA players make per year. <laughs> and I'm just doing this as a curious young man, exploring the world. And now that I'm 30 years old and I have fiduciary responsibility to the Players Association representing not just me now, but the next generations to come after. It, it's a, it, it, can be, it can be a lot to handle when you learn about the tension behind the scenes. What have you learned? You know, what have you learned over the last three years, four years? You went yeah. through, you was the eye of the storm for one time. I don't want to talk about the storm. I just want yeah. to talk about what you've learned from it. Who am I sitting in front of today? I have been through a lot more than I could probably speak on in five minutes or 10 minutes. I don't use it as baggage that I like to carry around with me. You know, my history is my history. I've done some quirky shit in public and some quirky shit behind the scenes. <laughs> and, I, and I've dealt with like the vilification of that. Mm -hmm. And I often didn't spend a lot of time with people. You can ask them, I, I would be in my house, dedicated myself to watching greatness. You know, that's Kobe, Braun, MJ, studying these positions that guys that are in the older generation have done before me. So I want to be just like them, like playing with Bron and playing with KD. Mm. These are two of the best to ever lace them up. But within our culture, they are two true icons. And I had to fill in those shoes that were very uncomfortable for me because at that point in my life, I didn't know where I wanted to go. 
I was watching the 30 for 30 yeah. on a decision. A year later, I was drafted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> into, yeah. the, into that Cleveland emotional train Shame, of yes. the prodigal son, chosen one, has left. Uh, and here we have this 19-year-old kid. I'm 6'2". I'm not one. jumping out of the gym. <laughs> Emotionally, I, I was dealing with things that I, I had no idea. Had I was nothing getting, to do with you. Nothing to do with me. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. So when I took on that pressure and as my own, I started feeling like I got to bring Cleveland back to the promised land. That, that's a solo act. You went through that when you were 19. How old were you when Bron came back? 22, 23. 22, 23. With what you know now at 30, do you do anything differently during that period? We could sit here for hours. <laughs> we could sit here for hours going through the details, combing through it. But I think the, the greatest thing I would tell the youth is superheroes need help. You know, yep. the leader of the team doesn't always have to take on the burden. And Braun took on crazy burdens. We feel that's the, the biggest commonality we have as human beings is emotions. They may look different in how we express it, but they're the same. If you're angry or you're sad or you're going through stuff in your life, it is the same emotion that I would feel. Just may look different. I'll be honest with you, I was in those circles where the shadows were all around me, partying my ass off, yeah. relationships here and there, going through heartbreak going through things that show the authentic, true you because somebody's actually putting up with your shit. Shout out to my wife. You know, she's actually putting up with all the drama and all the things that I thought I had to hide. And this person came along my life in the last three years and she shook my whole world up. Mm -hmm. I started having kids, started calling myself a king, a chief of my tribe. My, my daughter started doing things that really shaped the way I wanted to see her future. And that is really what invited me to become a softy, more feminine in, in my approach. It's cool to be masculine all the time, but there's a balance like Kundalini, like the yin and yang. I think karma also chooses like, yes. you're supposed to be a girl dad, you yes. know? I have two girls. I'm like, that's what my whole life was for, research to matriculate to them to the best of my ability. I understood my whole existence when I realized I was having two girls. Let me ask you this, Drew, because Talking about superheroes need help. You're a superhero to all of us, your career. What was rock bottom for you? First of all, thank you. I <laughs> would never assume such a beautiful statement. Um, yeah, I think everybody, when they go through it, because everybody will, publicly or not, um, you get scared that that will be your narrative forever. Yeah. And it's really all kind of um, up to you. And then that hopefully if you get it together and you overcome, you'll be patient with the statue of limitations other people need to come around and you will find your way. And life is a book and you have to write it with the acceptance of how people will receive that story. And you can't write it for them and you can't placate to the phantom they. So if you just stay in your own lane and try to keep your own side of the street clean, your chapters will continue to write themselves, hopefully with more grace as you go on. And then you'll probably think, oh, I've got this. And then probably one of the worst chapters will come. And the hardest. I thought I had seen it all and been through the worst. And when I got divorced with kids, I, that was the worst. That was far beyond anything else I've ever experienced in my life because 
it wasn't about me. It was about the care and concern and high stakes of my kids. And it really took me down. It, I, it, like for a few years, I really, really didn't know which way was up. I was on top of it as much as I could be with and for my kids. But inside, I, I stopped doing what I love. I wanted to be with them. That chapter, I really didn't expect to come and hit me so hard. And I really didn't know how to write the next one. And it took me a few years. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than you want it to. Yeah. And but it can and it will shift with time and tremendous work. And right now the chapter I'm in is totally awesome. <laughs> and I didn't see that when it was bad. And yeah, you don't no. see the bad ones there's coming. There's no way you see it coming. Yeah, yeah, you don't see that. There's one, there's one thing all of you have spoken about. It's like that rough patch, whether it be in your career, your personal life, feeling like you fucked something up, you fell short of whether it's your own expectations or whatever the expectations of society are for yourselves. How do you forgive yourself? How have you guys forgiven yourselves? <laughs> I like this. Yeah, this is a great question, again. Um, I think that's, uh, for me, the thing that has come the latest in my life. Only recently do I forgive myself. It's dope. But I'm there. Mm. It just took me so long to get there. I beat the shit out of myself about everything. I had to be my own parent. And God, I just, I'm so hard on myself. Ridiculously, painfully, miserably, unlivably hard on myself. But I'm finally on the other side of that. And I'm just so happy to be there because it's um it's those things being okay with yourself not competing with the others uh realizing you're your own unique snowflake of a being and how to embrace that how to forgive yourself those are such big overarching themes of life and it can take so long sometimes you just think you'll never get there and God, forgiveness of others has always been available to me um, on tap, really. But me, not at all. But as of recently, I'm really having some amazing breakthroughs. And it feels so good. <laughs> like, it's, it's so nice. I do all things. I'm genreless. You might see me DJ in a set in Ibiza, or you may catch whoa, me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Your job. What the no, fuck? No, hold up. You know what? He said that, but I didn't pull the stink face when I said I wanted to play Jordan. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Uninterrupted, the Shop Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to the show. For full video episodes, check out Uninterrupted's YouTube channel. And for updates on new episode releases and exclusive behind-the-scenes content, follow Uninterrupted on social media. You're listening to The Shop Podcast, presented by Grego's Vodka. 
Whether it's a dinner party for 10 or a small kickback, you know the vibes will always be right if you're surrounded by your favorite people. And great company pairs best with a great cocktail. So make it a Grey Goose Martini cocktail. Impress your guests in style with an espresso martini or the always effortless classic martini with a lemon twist. No matter what you decide, everyone can appreciate the smooth, delicate taste that only a Grey Goose vodka martini can provide. For more info on how to craft a vodka-based cocktail, visit greygoose.com and remember to always sip responsibly. Sip responsibly. www.responsibledrinking.org 2024. Grey Goose. It's trade dress and the geese device are trademarks. Imported by Grey Goose Importing Company, Coral Gables, Florida. Vodka, 40% alcohol by volume. Distilled from French wheat.